0: the importance of not viewing actual people as symbols, anti-racism dismantles communities, not oppression, and championing religious freedom, why we must preserve our unity going beyond political disputes. Welcome to Fair News Weekly. To read all of the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit this podcast's episode description. Dear Friends of FAIR, On November 30th, our legal department wrote a letter to the National Institutes of Health, NIH's sub-agency, Cellular SendSense Network, (SenNet). based on a FAIR transparency report we received about SenNet's Consortium Underrepresented Student Program, CUSP, a summer internship. The CUSP internship propels current undergraduate aspiring researchers to lofty heights with exclusive mentorship opportunities. Researching at elite institutions such as MIT, Columbia University, Yale University, and many others, CUSP offers participants a stipend, housing, and travel and technology assistance as part of the program. Unfortunately, the application for the internship makes clear that only students who identify as underrepresented are eligible to apply. Please note that all applicants must be considered part of an underrepresented group as defined by NIH. These include individuals from certain ethnic groups, individuals with disabilities, and individuals from disadvantaged backgrounds. The NIH definition of underrepresented is Blacks or African Americans, Hispanics or Latinos, American Indians or Alaska Natives, Native Hawaiians, and other Pacific Islanders. Being an organization that is dedicated to non-discriminatory diversity and inclusion, Fair applauds efforts to increase diversity in all industries, including the sciences. However, the law does not allow the government or federally funded entities to discriminate in order to achieve desired diversity metrics. The recent Students for Fair Admissions case made clear that the U.S. Constitution and the Civil Rights Act prohibit differential treatment of individuals based on race, skin color, and national origin, regardless of any positive intentions that might motivate such differential treatment. This past summer, SCOTUS said, Eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it, and the Equal Protection Clause, we have accordingly held, applies without regard to differences of race or color or of national creed. It is universal in its application. The court went on to point out that the guarantee of equal protection cannot mean one thing when applied to one individual and something else when applied to a person of another color. In our letter, we urge CENET and the NIH to amend its application for the CUSP program to make it clear that all students are eligible to apply and that their selection process must be devoid of any preferences based on unlawful discrimination. In recent days, we have noted that the CUSP webpage and application has been taken down. We are cautiously optimistic that CENET and the NIH may be working on making the necessary changes at the time this podcast and newsletter is published. We are keeping a close eye on this matter and hope to provide good news very soon. Warmly, the team at the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. For a fair substack, Lori Miller Hornick wrote about why it is important to see other people not as symbols but as full human beings. She writes, If a student asked me about symbolism in real life today, I'd have more to say. I'd say that people, actual people in the world, are not symbols. They are individual human beings with their own dignity and rights and should never be reduced to symbols. As I write this, the hostages being held by Hamas are not symbols, even if the members of Hamas see them that way. The hostage posters we are all now familiar with, designed by Israeli artists Didi Bandaid and Nitzan Mintz, helped remind people that each hostage is an individual person with full human dignity. When people tear them down, they might feel like they are tearing down a symbol of something settler colonialism, white supremacy, Jewish power but they are not. They are tearing down pictures of specific individuals with full human dignity. The Religious Freedom Institute honored fair advisor Professor Robert P. George of Princeton University with its 2023 Defender of Religious Freedom Award. The National Catholic Register published his remarks in full, saying, Our movement has always been one in which Christians, Jews, and Muslims, along with people of the great Eastern traditions of faith, are partners and, indeed, equal partners. We must preserve our unity. We will not agree on all matters of politics, including the politics of the Middle East, but our profound points of moral agreement, the points I just mentioned, must be the glue that binds us in solidarity with each other despite our points of disagreement. Where we differ, we must engage each other in the spirit of openness, willing thoughtfully to listen to each other, and not simply to preach. However passionate we may be in our advocacy, we must cultivate and sustain a spirit of humility and a shrewd dogmatism. We must not doubt one another's goodwill or question each other's motives, the enemies of religious freedom would like nothing more than for political disputes to shatter our unity, thus undermining our work at home and abroad and upholding religious freedom for all. Let us see to it that their wishes are frustrated. For her substack, Broadview, Fair Advisor Lisa Celine Davis wrote about grandparental grief and the culture of rejection with the rise of gender ideology. Davis writes, support and affirmation are not synonymous. Yet sometimes it feels to these grandparents, to families, to those of us charting these cultural tides, as if the next step, after coming out as trans, is scanning for any reason to reject a family member, and the bar is lower every year. It is some kind of gateway to authenticity. Once rejected, even if you directed the rejection, you are officially oppressed, sufficiently discriminated against, and allowed access to the streaming pool of pain. I am very familiar with this mindset, the waiting to find out who will hurt me, Radar." The FAP research began in an era when gay people would regularly be kicked out of their their houses—their families—for coming out. Most of these families with LGBTQIA++ kids today wouldn't shun them for being gay, but may hesitate to affirm, socially or medically, which is something else entirely. One gay friend of mine, whose husband was indeed rejected by his family for being gay, called this phenomenon a kind of cultural appropriation. They've never actually experienced this kind of rejection, but arranged to make it so. For The Black Sheep, a new substack launched by Salome Sibonet and Jake Klein, Reed Newton wrote about her experience in the dance world after the death of George Floyd. Newton states, The worst part wasn't how it made me feel, how out of place I felt in the world I had once thought of as an extension of home. The worst part was that people in the room felt threatened by me being there. This seemed crazy to me, but it was undeniable. They genuinely felt unsafe and uncomfortable because of the color of my skin. They viewed me as an oppressor and a grifter looking to take, to appropriate, what wasn't mine. The world of dance, which had given me the precious language to communicate with anyone irrespective of who they were or where they came from, was fragmenting consumed, like everything else, by our seemingly inescapable racialization and tribalization. For The Spectator, Rupert Christensen wrote about the Fair in the Arts fellow, Rosie Kay's experience of being canceled and fighting back. In their conversation, he writes, The arts are full of fear now, and I've become a sort of caseworker for people in trouble because of their views. We need more protection, and we need more of us to stand up and say no— And we need arts organizations to think harder about what the principles of their missions are. What are those principles? A former secret serviceman told me that they were always interested in monitoring the arts because once they had clocked the obvious stance of the political activists, the artists were the free thinkers, the troublemakers, the subversives. And that's what a minority within the arts aren't allowing us to be. Anti-Semitism on campus, balancing student safety with civil liberties. In the wake of the October 7th Hamas attacks and Israel's efforts to extinguish future terrorist threats by Hamas, college campuses have become hotbeds of tension and conflict. There have been disturbing reports of discrimination against Jewish students that have resulted in harassment and even violence. Across the country, many are wondering what can be done to ensure the safety of Jewish students. Has DEI ideology contributed to anti-Semitism at institutions of higher learning? Can we rely on the principles of free speech to promote pro-human dialogue on the issue? How can we help America's next generation of thinkers and leaders build a brighter future for all of us? Tune in now to watch FAIR's recent webinar featuring panelists Nadine Strassen, Jeffrey Lacks, and Sahar Tartak, moderated by FAIR advisor Jonathan Kay, for this important discussion, where they also share their own personal stories, as well as their perspectives on how we got to this point and where we go from here. Link in the description. We want the FAIR Substack to be the go-to publication for diverse perspectives on culture and civil rights. Whether you're a seasoned author or an amateur writer with a story that can contribute to our mission of promoting fairness, understanding, and humanity, we would love to receive your stories, opinions, investigations, reviews, interviews, and more. Please send your piece to submissions at fairforall.org. We hope to hear from you. Finally, if you liked this podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. Make sure to check out our newsletter and weekly roundup to read more into any of this week's stories, or visit the episode description. Donations are always welcome at fairforall.org donate.